once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 189 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, September 4th, 2014, and available for download or streaming on Monday, September 8th, 2014, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Cookie. I'm Jace. And I'm Elijah. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. Hello. What do we have in store this week, Elijah? Captains, this week we trek out our interview from Star Trek Las Vegas with the men behind the officially licensed Star Trek beers, the Federation of Beer. You can also check out our video version of the interview on our new YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash P1 Network. P, the number one, network. This week in Star Trek Online News, there's a lot to cover with new blogs about Delta Rising. We have a new starter pack, new species introduced, and a new ground weapon that adds a whole new dimension to ground combat. And the piece de resistance this episode is an interview with Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, to discuss some of the major news that has been announced on Delta Rising. And later, we'll open hailing frequencies to see what's incoming from you, our listeners. And don't forget that Priority One Podcast is more than just a podcast. In her latest Observer's Log, Candace Zanzinger takes us back in time to the realm of knights, maidens, kings, and queens with a review of King Richard's Fair. You could reenact Cupid and dress as the crew of the Enterprise. Check out our vlogs and much more only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Or dress up as Spock and reenact the Big Bang Theory's trip to the Renaissance Fair. (laughs) Well, Captains, all the rewards have been shipped out. Boy, was that an endeavor. So you should be receiving them soon, depending on where you live, of course. Remember, when you receive them, be sure to send us a tweet of a picture or share it with us on Facebook. Well, Captains, let's find out about Warnog and Vulcan Ale, and possibly how soon you'll be able to pick one up at your local stores. Then let's trek it out. We're about ready to talk about something that I'm very passionate about, and it's beer. Oh, yeah, beer. I'm joined by uh, two amazing craftsmen, right, that you guys have been involved with, uh, the Federation of Beer, uh, and have popped out two phenomenal brews. Why don't you please introduce yourselves uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about the Federation of Beer and the two, uh, the two beverages in your hand. Uh, we're, we're two of three of the main council members right here. My name is Vern Raincock, and... Uh, my name is Richard Weger, and we're fans first, and we're so excited that we're just about to launch throughout the United States, starting here as well as Indianapolis and Seattle in the last week, Klingon Warnog, soon be followed up with Vulcan Ale. With Vulcan Ale. Now, uh, Richard, you, you, you and I had the opportunity of talking a little bit when uh, Vulcan Ale first came out, yes. uh, and it was first announced. Yes, what? I had the pleasure. Yeah, thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. So did we. 
What, uh, tell us about the, the growth, I mean, and the community reaction to the development of these brews. Absolutely, uh, the, the fans have been very supportive of our efforts here, um, and we couldn't do it without them. Uh, and uh, our, our Vulcan Ale uh, was a huge success in Canada. Um, our Klingon Warnog was, was equally successful. And so uh, we had a lot of demand for us to come down to the United States and here we are. So this is our first week that the uh, Klingon Warnog has been available here in the US. That's fantastic, that's fantastic. Now why don't we talk a little bit about the flavor of the beers. Let's, you know, for, for our uh, beer connoisseurs out there, uh, what can they expect when they take a sip of, uh, of uh, Warnog? For Warnog, um, a little history behind it, we were trying to find a beer, a style of beer, that would be uh, a unique beer that would make a Klingon warrior proud. Yes. <laughs> um, it took a lot of trial batches. We, we talked to craft brewers both in Indiana, uh, Indiana Chin Men Brewing. We worked with Keenan, uh, Nick and Andy there. Uh, we actually also talked over overseas where Rogan Dunkel is brewed quite quite regularly in, in Germany and we had input from a brewery called Anchor Grower and we came up with a recipe. It took a few reiterations. We uh, enjoyed each one mm -hmm. and then we went to market and we were so excited that we were able to bring out the beer earlier this year in Canada and uh, and we sort of joke we call Canada now. Canada. Canada? Yeah. yeah. So anyways in Canada that's logically for Klingon why we should splodge first. Uh, we then were able to roll out in the United States with tremendous help from Creation Entertainment as well as uh, CBS all the all the support of the fans. We're, we're actually it's it's almost like a scavenger hunt. A fan finds a great craft beer location. We then head over, talk to that restaurant or retailer. They say we need a distributor and then they recommend a great uh, craft beer distributor in their local market and we all collaborate. It's just, just awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the flavor of, yeah. of Warnock. Uh, anyways, the flavor of Warnock, we were looking for a session beer because uh, as I've alluded to earlier, a blood wine is the perfect product for Klingon. Unfortunately, I'm a human and, <laughs> and Balkans actually try to abstain as much as possible. So we were trying to find something that all uh, races could enjoy, enjoy. Enjoy. So now that we've got a sessionable beer for the uh, weaklings like myself, you might want to say that, uh, our next in line will be a blood wine and we're working with a new craft brewer right now on a new recipe and we're excited for sometime early next year because we have to wait to season two, right? Right, right, right. right. Uh, episode two will be a blood wine. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, like, are we looking maybe like a porter kind of thing? Or maybe um, it's describe we, What we've done is we've asked all the supporters, all the CAG organizations, to provide us feedback on the style of beer that would best qualify as a blood wine okay. in their best, you know, in the interpretation. Oh, very good, very good. So we're, we're not going to be. What direction, if you don't mind my asking, what kind of direction, what, what are you getting, what kind of feedback are you getting? Um, it has to be strong. <laughs> uh, the, the strongest beer that a couple of the brewers I work with is as high as 18% wow. right now. So when I, they still think that's weak. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're working on, uh, you know, an approach that's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of fun. It will be in a large bottle. Okay. And because Klingons, 
consume. Right. And they're merry when they do consume. Absolutely. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, the great thing about the Federation of Beer is that it is this craft brew. It's not, you know, some major corporation that you're just slapping on, you know, Star Trek names on, which is delightful and I bet delicious. Uh, well, gentlemen, tell our uh, listeners, our audience, how they can follow up, how they can get their hands on the beer throughout the United States, yeah. uh, because I know people are uh, actively looking forward to that. Uh, well, they can uh, they can follow us on start or sorry um, on www.federationbeer.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook um, and we're also on Twitter. Um, and so we have some really good stuff that's going to be coming up in the future. Uh, we have a, a year-long event called First Contact. Okay. Klingon uh, Klingon Warnog. And so we're going to be as we expand into every state, we'll be having launch parties oh, uh, to help celebrate the release of Klingon Warnog in the U.S. Yeah. That's exciting. And what's really exciting, uh, you know, the, the culture and what's going on with uh, plays, outdoor plays. There's a group in Seattle. I just stumbled off the internet looking for something to do, and um, it's called Hello Earth, and they're doing live mirror mirror in downtown oh, Seattle on oh, wow. South uh, Jackson, 2100 South Jackson is a city park. Uh, we just showed up. Wonderful. It was exciting, and so there's things that we don't know exist and what's happening is the fans are contacting us and say can we do a first contact here because yeah, yeah. this is where we are yeah, and yeah. we work with the retailer the bar themselves and make sure that we can get it there as quick as we can exciting exciting yeah. well gentlemen thank you so very much for uh, chatting with us here at priority one podcast i know uh, several of our listeners are looking forward to uh sipping uh that delectable delectable uh, uh, uh beverage so thank, thank you so you. very much Thank, Thank you, you for the opportunity. Thank Have you. a great day. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Our first piece of STO news is another Starfleet security file that has been released. This time from Klingon Intelligence with a word of caution regarding the Borg Cooperative and the Octanti. Neither is a threat right now in their current state, but we need to keep an eye out because they're both fully capable of becoming a force to be reckoned with. The Borg Cooperative are Borg drones that have been separated from the Collective and who have recovered their individuality. After they found a planet to live on together, they tried to take out most of their cybernetic implants and rebuild their lives. Unfortunately, as the Borg mentality melted away and the individuality of the different species grew, civil unrest and war developed. A few hundred drones were able to re-establish a mini version of the collective consciousness and extend that to all the drones on the planet. This cooperative is now intending to liberate other drones from the collective. While they are completely focused on that mission, they could still develop into a very powerful weapon. The Octanti, or species 6339, were almost completely assimilated by the Borg. Only a small group managed to escape and they were pissed. They developed a weapon to use against the Borg, a pathogen created to attack the hive mind of the Borg cube, which would alert other Borg vessels and eventually contaminate the entire collective. Although they have not been able to successfully spread the infection, they are still determined to keep trying. If you want to watch these episodes and refresh your knowledge on these species, you can watch the Borg Cooperative episode. It's called Unity. It's Season 3, Episode 17. And... The Octanti episode is called Infinite Regress, Season 5, Episode 7. 
Well, Captains, five members of the original bridge crew of Star Trek Voyager. Tim Russ, Garrett Wong, Ethan Phillips, Robert Picardo, and Jerry Ryan, who can assimilate me anytime. All five of them will be returning to reprise their role on Star Trek Online, which is fantastic. Now, PWE Cryptic is keeping a tight lip on their exact roles in the story, but it's obvious that this is the team that will help us survive in the Delta Quadrant. So obviously it's super cool that they've got the band back together in some form, but what is really impressive is how amazingly accurate those models are. I mean, Bob Picardo is spot on. It's scary, it really is. Like, I really want, here's what I want. I want the game mechanic that would allow me to put my face on my tune in Star Trek Online. So, Cryptic, install that technology. Because I want to scan my face and run around Star Trek Online with it. Do it! Do it now! Now, you know, I've got to point this out, too. Because the gaming site, PC Gamer, threw some serious shade towards Star Trek Online writing, quote, I guess the first order of business should be to establish that Star Trek Online is, in fact, still online. It's been a while since we talked about it, May 2013 actually, but the Star Trek-based MMO is still boldly going, albeit where no one seems to notice. Listen community, some of you can be extremely vocal on the forums, and this is one of those times when you should be commenting like crazy, defending this game, and calling that writer a fool for speaking so poorly about an MMO that not only has been around for four years, but continues to provide expansions and content to its player base. So you're a very vocal group. Go, go get them, go, sick them. Well, and you know what's especially biased about that? They mentioned that, oh, we haven't talked about it since May 2013. One, that's on them for not covering anything else, but two, that's because they had an expansion that came out last year in May 2013. So they covered the expansion. They don't mention that that's why they mentioned it. It's not like the game just came out last May and no one's heard from it since. They covered the expansion. Now there's another expansion out. Just very poor. For someone like me that has a background in journalistic writing or PR writing, like that's it, it just was a poorly written piece. It, it should have been like an editorial, not a real article. Exactly. So, you know, fans of the game, uh, our listeners, go. Go and, and tell this guy, listen, you're wrong to be so snarky about, about Star Trek Online. I'm not saying attack him. Don't threaten his family or wish ill things upon him. But I think that the, the writer needs to know that there's a solid community of players for Star Trek Online and that we're ready to defend it and that we're ready to, to show that we enjoy this game. And don't poo-poo on that. How dare you? <laughs> so we, uh, we actually turned to the community to get their reaction about the announcement of, of these five key players reprising their role uh, in Star Trek Online's Delta Rising, these five Voyager actors. And generally, it's been some fantastic feedback. People are really excited to see people like Neelix and the Doctor returning with Harry Kim. It definitely adds to the immersion, that's for sure. I shared that on my Facebook, and there was a lot of people that didn't play the game that showed interest in playing the game because of that announcement. You know, how, I wonder how often that happened even with games like Elite Force um, or many of the other older Star Trek Online games that people picked them up because they were being voiced by the iconic actors and the iconic characters. I mean, uh, I think that this is definitely going to bring a lot of interest into Star Trek Online from fans that may not 
be MMO players. And again, you know, I've said this before. I think Star Trek Online is very is very saturated with first time MMO players, people who have never played an MMO before. Uh, and that's fantastic. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I hope that when this hits StarTrek.com, we'll continue to see that excitement that you, Cookie, have seen on your own Facebook page. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Whatever you guys do with spoiler alerts. In our next blog, content designer Sean Commander Ander McCann gives us the background on the first of the upcoming PVEQs for Delta Rising. Borg Disconnected sees players assisting the Borg Cooperative in liberating more drones from a Unimatrix where the Queen, last seen defeated in Into the Hive and Onslaught, is rebuilding her strength while beset by many enemies, like the Voth and the Undine. And speaking of the Voth and Undine, I think you'll find that they aren't especially interested in distinguishing between a collective and a cooperative, nor will they be impressed by anyone assisting the Borg. So gameplay for the new queue, without going into too much depth, because I'm sure we'll be talking to Al about it more, takes some notes from Azure Nebula Rescue, but definitely seems to have several wrinkles to it, including the multiple factions involved. And unlike Azure Nebula, it does include a very interesting looking boss battle at the end. So more on that to come. If you have access to Tribble, check it out. Steven Rocosa, the lead producer for Star Trek Online, announced the Delta Rising Operations Pack. This pack will provide eight new Tier 6 starships. Three of these ships are themed around Voyager's journey, and that's one ship per faction, with the Delta Quadrant themed consoles and new materials. And the remaining five ships are Intelligence-class ships. Three Federation, one Klingon, and one Romulan, along with the corresponding Intelligence-themed consoles. These intelligence-class ships also launch drones that find your opponent's weaknesses and provides a way to exploit them. All eight ships include intelligence bridge officer stations. This pack will also include very rare duty officers and very rare intelligence bridge officers, Talaxian uniform options, three unique captain titles which can also be used on the forums, and three tier 5 ship upgrade tokens. All right, well, let's talk some of the details, albeit general details, about the items players can find in this starter pack. As Cookie mentioned, you'll find eight new ships, each of them sporting this new Intel description, uh, which on the surface means that these ships have some serious stealth bonuses added to them, including cloaking technology. Whoa, 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 Treaty of Algeron violation. Now, before you jump down my neck, I know that this doesn't apply to the Delta Quadrant. So, that brings up my next question, though. Will these ships be allowed to use Cloak back in the Alpha Quadrant? So, I don't know if it's been addressed officially, but several folks have raised this question. Obviously, up till now, the only Federation ships with cloaking devices have been the Avenger, the Galaxy X, and the Defiant. But the Romulan Star Empire, in its previous form, with whom the Treaty of Algeron was signed, doesn't exist. And certainly, what remnants of it in the form of the Tal Shiar are still around have not been an entity that we want to be close with. I'm guessing that the Romulan Republic has either explicitly shared technology with us to a limited extent or just has bigger fish to fry and isn't going to make waves over us using some cloaking devices at this stage. I believe in either Path to 2409 or Needs of the Many, the Federation President had said that at least for the time being we would continue to honor the Treaty of Algeron and respect for the 
turmoil of the Romulan people, it's possible that they're going to change that storyline or update it. That would either be a nice article for the quarterly Star Trek magazine uh, or something that... Uh, that's a really good blog. That's some kind of story that I think... Uh, I think Christine should definitely tell, and I think it's really fun, and, uh, and uh, I'd really love to see that be told. Now, the biggest gripe from the community is about the style of the Federation ships. The aesthetics don't seem to please everybody, and in an effort to help players see the visual direction that the ship artists took with the new additions, Hector Ortiz, a.k.a. Sandman979, took to the Star Trek Online subreddit and wrote a lengthy report. Unfortunately, Star Trek Online rocked the boat a bit with these new designs, and some players just think it's too far off the traditional styles and forms of classic Federation ships. Now, the post goes into some really great meticulous detail, and as an artist, although of a different craft, I appreciate the time that he took to help understand the creative process. The post includes artistic decision-making, there's, there's form follows function, it's all there. So whether or not you may like the style of the new ship, I encourage you to read his post to get a better appreciation for their design. All right, so Skiffy, you bought this bundle. What made it a valuable purchase for you? Well, I woke up to get me a cold pop, and then I thought somebody was talking about ships. I said, oh, Lord, it's a ship pack. Then I logged on, didn't grab my shoes or nothing, grabbed my card, and then the concept got me. Buying individual ships? Ain't nobody got time for that. In all seriousness, um, it's a valuable purchase because uh, just like I think a lot of people may not remember or are forgetting about the value of the discounted Legacy of Romulus bundle, if you look for the Legacy of Romulus bundle right now, it's an increased price from when it originally sold. They put it on like a 30 or $40 discount uh, when, it, when you pre-ordered it and you got all the ships at a, a phenomenal rate it was about the same price I think it was around $130 but it looks like they're doing the same thing here uh, you, you get 8 tier 6 ships and a bundle of other goodies uh, for what I'm thinking and I think Jace even pointed out might be close to half the price now we don't know that because we don't know what the, what the individual ships will sell for yet but it's going to be a, a significant discount they did say that this pack price is temporary. They didn't announce when it will go up in price, but they said they'd warn us when it does. But uh, if you're looking, if you're looking to get, you know, even a, just a handful of the ships, uh, I think it's a really good deal. Um, I am okay with the design. I, I haven't had any problems with the designs of the ships. I I instantly kind of saw the direction they were going with them, which was a, a stealthy design, and that's uh, that was confirmed by. Um, a Reddit post men mentioned earlier, but no, I, I like it. I can't wait to fly uh, all of them. I'm, I'm definitely going to at least try out all the ships, and I'm sure I'll take to you know one or two more than the rest, uh, like I usually do. But I'm I'm a ship fiend. That's uh, what makes this game great is all the different ships. Now, Jason, our pre-show discussion, you were mentioning something about the traits for these ships. Well, since the tier six ships, if leveled all the way up to level five, will unlock a trait that is then usable by your captain, regardless of which ship he's flying, this is a nice way to get access to every single trait available to all three factions, uh, at least at launch. You know, it'll be up to the individual whether they want to go for that, but it is another benefit of it that is somewhat implied. It's not listed right in the pack and we don't know what the traits are yet well these ships though like for instance the, a federation captain will not be able to fly the klingon warbirds right they'll they'll only be able to act, fly the federation right ships. there'll be differences between them but 
you know, I have characters in all three factions. So this week's community question, Captains, will you be purchasing the new Delta Rising Operations Pack? What about the pack is most enticing to you? Share your thoughts in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO189 or in the official post for this episode on the Star Trek Online forums. This week's Tribble Maintenance and Release Notes include a few points of interest. We already mentioned the new five-man cube, Borg Disconnected, and also the missions Escalation and Mindscape are available. Escalation is basically one of those report to the Delta Quadrant type of missions, and Mindscape is uh, very interesting. I don't want to spoiler that one because it's huge, but if you have Tribble access and are curious, I highly recommend you check it out. Now, what I'm excited about, because this is something that I have wanted for a long time, is that there are now a new format for the PVEQ difficulty options. So standard difficulty for the queued content is unchanged in a way similar to how Nimbus 3 works, where you're automatically scaled to level 26, you will now be scaled down to level 50 for standard normal difficulty queues. So they won't be changed at all. They're still normal mode. If you're above 50th, you'll be scaled down to level 50. Now, what were formerly known as the elite queues will now be called advanced. And if you are level 51 to 60, you'll be scaled to level 60 for elites. Finally, there are now gonna be level 60 only versions that are elite queues. Currently, Borg Disconnected is the only PVEQ with this setting which strongly implies obviously they're gonna retune existing queues to have an elite mode for level 60 characters. I'm pretty excited about this. I know a lot of endgame players have been looking for a more difficult challenge. Presumably, elite will be it. There have been a few teases on the forums by a couple of the devs, nothing concrete yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, finally, Level caps have been added to a number of the existing level 50 zones, and you'll automatically again be set to level 50 for those zones. Places like Defera, Nukar Prime, Dyson Ground Battle Zone, New Romulus, the Dyson Allied Contested Zones, and the Space Battle Zone. Those areas won't all be rescaled to 60th, you'll just be scaled down to 50th. What's interesting is, so your character is scaled down, but there's no way to scale gear. So Mark 14 gear on Nimbus is going to be dramatically easy, and I assume the same is true of our current zones, right? Because you'll be using Mark 14 gear. Well, all right, so here's my immediate concern, right? I am not looking forward to this if all that is going to differentiate advanced from elite or the current elite from the new elite is harder AI or more bosses or more baddies to shoot, um, or an increased hole on the spheres, or something like that, because that's not fun to me. That wouldn't be fun. I would rather them include newer objectives. In addition to increasing the difficulty of the actual NPC and the actual critter, I get that. All right, of course, you're going to have to do that, but that would just be boring. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't like that idea. I would rather them also include new objectives and new goals for us to have to achieve to not only have to worry about the increased threat, but also, okay, I have to worry about having to get this objective uh, completed. That is what, that is what's going to require strategy. That's what's going to require planning and be tacticians when getting ready to to fight one of these uh, to fight one of these PVEs. Um, 
you know, no win scenario has a bit of that, right? But it's it's wave after wave of onslaught baddies, and it's just being able to stay alive and being able to protect the base while not dying, right? That's I, I don't want that. I want objective. I want mission-related objectives and goals that, that require strategy. I don't know how much that will vary between the difficulty levels. I can say that Borg Disconnected has more objectives and more optional things you can do to gain additional marks than some of the other missions that we've had in the past. But how much that'll differ from setting to setting, I don't know yet. In a recent equipment briefing by content designer Jadua Quantum Meerkat Ross, a new and very exciting set of equipment is introduced. Since Starfleet's ultimate goal in the Delta Quadrant will be diplomacy, this new equipment is designed for situations that may depend on an alternate tactic. The first piece of equipment is called the Grapple Gun, which gives you the ability to shoot a grapple line and use it to move about in various terrains undetected. It has three settings. Traverse, which is for horizontal movement across two different points. Zipline, that uses gravity to propel you downward at an angle, and Repel, which allows you to safely drop straight down. The Grapple Gun is a generic gray color, and it's unbranded to hide its true origin, if it ever gets into enemy hands. I'm really hoping that this gun will be able to be activated at times other than potential combat situations, because I would love to play with this and use it to get around from place to place in, let's say, Earth Space Dock or my ship or everywhere I go. I don't know if that's going to be a possibility, but that would be awesome. All right, Captains. Well, that wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. Let's bring back our special guest, Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, to discuss Delta Rise. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, today we are joined by Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Al, as always, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Hey, how you doing, guys? Good to be back. So nice to have you, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Oh, you're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we just realized during the community live stream on Friday that you are Janeway's spirit animal. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I, uh, I'm glad people have noticed that. Yes, uh, I, I noticed that very specifically. That was, uh, I actually knew someone who uh, tried to get me to figure out my spirit animal and it ended up being a gecko. And then it was like really funny when Janeway did the same thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so how's the post-con depression? It's terrible. It's awful. It's very empty. But I got my own personal con. Every couple of days, I have a new celebrity coming and doing VO. So <laughs> that's pretty epic. So actually, why don't we start with that a little bit? Talk to us about the whole experience of getting the band back together. These five cast members. Yeah, that's mind blowing. Sure, we've been working on it for. Uh, I've been working on it since last year's convention. Right, it takes a long time to work these out because last year I went and I. I met as many, I mean, every year I go to the convention, I try to meet as many of the actors as possible to try to gauge their interest and see if they want to work with us. And then we see who's interested, and then we try to write stories around them. And so, you know, I reached out to Garrett Wong, and I reached out to Robert Ricardo. I talked to Armin Shimmerman and a whole bunch of guys, right? So I tried to get Garrett Wong for a really long time, and I may have mentioned before, he was actually originally supposed to be the star of that Tuvok sin in Surface Tension and Step Between Stars and that whole arc with the Iconian arc. Because Harry Kim 
right? Remember, he got attacked by the Undine, and so, you know, he got poisoned by their claws, and so I figured he would have a really interesting kind of PTSD and fear of these guys. But we could never really connect. We couldn't make it happen. And, and that's when he once tweeted, hey, I'm going to be on Star Trek Online. And I was like, well, great, but return my call, Garrett. <laughs> I was like, I still haven't done a contract. It just took forever because he travels so much, right, to all these different conventions. So it just took a really long time to work out logistically what it is. So we got Tim Russ instead, and we spin the story a little bit more around his, uh, his telepathic connections. So getting Garrett was pretty much in the pipeline, so we were able to get that one really quickly, and he's extremely friendly, right? And he's so engaged with his fans, and he was so happy to go on stage with us, right? And so that was a real pleasure to, to have an opportunity to work with him, and he comes out in a couple of weeks. He'll be on site to do some video recording, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And then uh, Ethan Phillips, I can't remember how I got in touch with Ethan Phillips at this point, because I have actually never met him. And... Um, uh, it might have been Garrett or maybe it was CBS who gave me his contact info. And that went fairly smoothly. He was very eager to come down. And then it took a little while to get in touch with Robert Ricardo. And it was actually uh, our good friend here, Elijah. You actually happen to know his agent or his manager, right? Yeah, yeah. That's how I was actually able to get uh, an interview with him at the New Jersey convention. Just a few degrees of separation that I know his convention agent and handler Pat Arthur, who's a phenomenal woman. So yeah, I'm glad that that worked out. I'm so glad. It did, because I wrote her, and I wrote Robert, because I met them, so I had both of their contact info. So I met them last year, and I wrote them, and they didn't respond to me. And so you mentioned that you had known her, and so I reached out to you. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the reason we have Robert Picardo in the game is because of Priority One and Elijah. So, I mean, they, wow. <laughs> I mean, you said, yeah, I'll send them an email, and then boom, I mean, she emailed me immediately. And uh, we got talking, so we got that happening. And then uh, Jerry Ryan has been really challenging to get working because Jerry Ryan's a pretty big star. She's in some other shows, and so she has a whole collective of people that kind of uh, watch over her and protect her, lawyers and managers and all kinds of people. So they have uh, there was a lot of uh, negotiation involved to make that work, but we got that working real excited, and she'll be recording uh, next week. We got Tim and Jerry and Robert all record next week. So it's going to be a very big week next week. You know, let me ask you something because at a creation convention, you see a, a side of the actors sometimes that you can tell that they get a little flustered, maybe because of just how involved they are with the convention, red tape and paperwork and all that jazz. How is it working with them one on one? It varies. It, it does. And for some of them, it's just a gig and it's just a job and they read their things and they go. And others are far more engaging and far more uh, excited to have the opportunity. They're excited about what they're doing. I mean, you can see like Denise Crosby and Garrett Wong are far more engaged with us than others, right? You know, coming on stage with us. Ethan Phillips was a real pleasure. I, you know, he lives in New York, so we did that recording remotely. And it was, I think that was like honestly the most fun we had was recording with Ethan Phillips because you talk to him and, he, you know, he sounds like Neelix, and, but he doesn't act like Neelix. And then the first line he records, he's like, okay, read this line. And it was just spot on Neelix with his exuberance and bubbliness and, and his inflections. And it was like, and Christine and I just couldn't stop giggling. It was so amazing to like to hear him read these lines that the team wrote. He was just really, really friendly. And so we chatted with him just over Skype between sessions for the whole, like, total four hours. He was talking about his dogs and he sent me an email about how he met Robin Williams one time and his story about how Robin was Robin was a big fan of Voyager. 
and then he ran into Robin at the studio while in full makeup, and Robin was like, Mr. Neelix, and did his little Robin Williams kind of shtick, right? And so he shared so much stories. It was really great. You want them to be as nice and as wonderful as you think they are, right? And when they are, it's really special. When they're not, it's kind of heartbreaking. You're like, oh, come on, let's be friends. <laughs> you know, <laughs> come on, let's hang out. So they get that a lot, right? I can imagine it can be pretty overwhelming for some of them. And they don't know me, and they don't know Star Trek Online. And maybe I'm just some crazy guy who wants them to do some weird garage project, right? So until we start getting real contracts and money throw their way, and then, like, oh, this is a real thing. And but then still some of it is just business for them. You know, Some of them love sci-fi and Star Trek more than others, and some of them are just generally more engaged with their fans than others, and it's just because they're people, right? So I'm just happy to have the opportunity to, uh, to meet some of these guys, and the way some of them have just been warm has just been really great. So I haven't really talked with Robert Picardo that much. It'll be interesting to see how that goes, and uh, I haven't even spoken to Jerry Ryan. You've got... You know, there's lots and lots of layers of protection around her before you, you can get to speak with her. So, so I'll be speaking with her for the first time on uh, next week. And, of course, we've worked with Tim before, and he's really friendly, and he's real professional, and he's really responsive. So that'll go smoothly. So actors like Tim Russ, they will be actually coming back to record new things. So it's not like this was already pre-recorded uh, a few months ago. You're, you're bringing them back in. No, no. Tim's coming back in, yeah. I mean, we pre-record some stuff, right? Because we don't know if we're going to be able to get some of the guys back. So we kind of try to predict. But it's pretty much impractical to, you know, for us to say start recording stuff for season 10. Because, you know, we know we might want to use some of these actors. But we don't write the scripts first, right? We plan the missions. We build the missions. And then we write the scripts based on feedback. So that we get the dialogue itself. And then the last thing you do is record the audio. So uh, it's not practical. But, but we try to be predictive and say, think, okay, have them record, you know, hello, Admiral, it's good to see you. Oh, how good it is to see you, you know, Mr. Picard and Miss Janeway and Captain Archer. And we say all these things just in case something may happen one day, right? Oh, my God, it's Spock, you know? Like, we'll have them say stuff like that and, you know, probably never use it. But it's impossible to pre-record full scripts. Something that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is how amazingly accurate these models are. Yeah, the art team did a great job, didn't they? They really did. How is really my question. I know that they go and they scour the internet for pictures of them and then they find like forward and profile faces. Actually, I think they do it very similar to the way they do ships. When we when a ship is done with like the Intrepid and they get top-down views and side views and then they take those images and they put them on a 2D plane and then they make a box in, let's say, 3D Studio Max and then they're just scoping the model. It's kind of like tracing... Like when you would trace, like, uh, put like something on a projector in school, and then you'd kind of trace the picture. So if you want to kind of like draw, you know, I want to draw this duck, and then you put it on a clear acetate on a projector, and you put it on the wall, and then you on a big piece of paper, and then you draw it. They basically do the same thing, right? So they, in 3D Studio Max, they put the side, the profile view of the ships, and then they sculpt the ship so that way it matches the studio model perfectly. So they do the same thing, I believe, with the actors, and they get a profile shot and a foreshot, and so that way they can sculpt from as many different angles they can get to try to match that. But uh, in the end, it's just talent, right? So if you get a chance to get an artist on the show, uh, you can kind of ask them a little bit more about the process for that. But yeah, it's pretty amazing when you start seeing them. You know, Elijah had a 3D image done of himself, so we have that on file if you need it. (laughs) Did you get one of your action figures done? No, I I just had, I just got scanned. I didn't purchase it. That would probably be pretty uh, useful if we could actually 3D scan any of the actor's face, but 
that's not how they do it, though. All right, so why don't we start talking about uh, a little more nitty-gritty things about Delta Rising as we quickly approach October. Uh, why don't we start with uh, Tier 5 upgrades? Generally, I think that the community, and Jace and Cookie, you guys can help me out here, I think people are concerned still that Tier 5 upgrades still will not be worth it when compared to getting a Tier 6 ship off the bat. I think there's some confusion in the terminology and exactly what's going to be getting what and what that means, which I know you guys have been active on the forums and trying to answer some of those questions, but I also know not all of our listeners might have dug into all of those 100-page threads. I'll see what I can do to kind of explain what's going on without basically rereading the blogs. So the very first thing that we that we wanted to do is make sure that we did not make any existing ships obsolete. So I'm going to be very clear about this. If you have a Tier 5 ship, even, even a free Dilithium Tier 5 ship, you should be able to play all the content from 1 to 60 without any trouble. As a matter of fact, we've just been doing a lot of balance testing. Don't worry too much about the balance that's on Tribble right now because that was just kind of a dart-at-the-wall kind of guess. And so last week we started doing some really, really fine tuning and testing. And uh, we, you know, played every couple levels with a dilithium quality, you know, one of the free ships that we were using, in this case, the patrol escort was one of the ones we were using, um, not the sea store ones or the fleet one, but the regular patrol escort. And you can play the content all the way up to level 60 without any trouble. So it's a free-to-play game, and you should be able to play the content for free. That's one of our mission statements for Star Trek Online. If I can ask one question, these missions, what difficulty level were they on? Yes, on regular basic difficulty, you should be able to play with regular gear dropping in the game. It was Mark 12 gear, but it wasn't like Omega Force gear or anything, uh, or any rep gear. You can play up to level 60. And, uh, you know, Mark 12 gear will be far more accessible in the game now because it'll start dropping uh, as you level up. So there's no, like, anything is obsolete is really not a true statement to say that any piece of gear or any ship is obsolete. So you can play up to level 60 with a free tier 5 ship with free mark 12 gear but we want to raise a level cap and with any raising level cap in any mmo you want to make more powerful stuff because if we don't make more powerful stuff and more interesting gear there's no fun just that's the whole point of playing an rpg is getting more and more stuff so i'll be clear that statement i just said where you could play with a tier 5 free ship and mark 12 gear it's going to be challenging i think levels 1 through 50 has always been a little bit easy we've erred on the easy side and so I think we start trying to take a little of the training wheels off so you have to be a much better and better player because we're trying to say, hey, you know what? You want a little bit better gear. You want a little bit better ship. But it is completely playable. So, you know, you want it to feel like, oh, when, when you get that next ship or when you get that big piece of gear, you know, you're able to get Mark 13 and 14 gear, it starts feeling like, wow, that really helped. But you don't need it. You don't have to have it. So that was the first thing we wanted to make sure was clear. But at the same time, we wanted to put you know, tier six ships, and we wanted them to be a significant upgrade. Really, the goal is here, and a blog will be coming out talking a little bit about this uh, in full detail, is that when you play at higher difficulties, like advanced and elite mode, you'll need those tier six ships or tier five U ship, and you'll need Mark 13s and 14 gear in order to participate at that higher difficulty. And that higher difficulty will give you more rewards to compensate for that. You're still going to be able to play the entire story-based content and level your captain up to level 60. Now, when we made uh, the T5U versus the T6 ships, yes, we want to make the Tier 6 ships better, but it's only slightly better, right? For instance, the ability to uh, slot the 
hybrid bridge officer seats, which basically, you know, as, as more and more information comes out, is obviously an intelligence bridge officer. And we can talk more about that in detail uh, later. But uh, it's not like the abilities you'll get from this bridge officer are not better. You're just going to get more options, right? It's not any different than saying that, oh, this ship has tactical seats and this ship has engineering seats. It's not one's particularly engineering powers aren't particularly better than tactical powers. Someone might argue certain ones are better than certain ones. But it's just different options. So the intelligence, the intel ships are going to give you more options, but not necessarily better because you can slot access to those powers. So that's not better, that's just kind of cooler. You have more new things to play with. They both have starship mastery and they both scale their hit points. There's no difference. The tier 6 ships don't have more hit points than the tier 5U ships. Obviously a cruiser versus an escort will have a disparity in power, but cruiser's a cruiser. There's no extra bonus for the tier 6 ship. And uh, yes, the tier 6 ship does unlock a fifth mastery to get you access to that starship trait. But it just unlocks one, right? And so if you unlock it, you know, if you have access to these traits and you can get the traits, earn traits also, um, there are a couple of them in game, it's something that attaches to your captain, not something that attaches to your ship. So there are four new slots for ship traits. So when you go to your trait window, you'll see your captain trait, you'll see the new one, the starship traits, and then you'll see the rep ground passives, rep space passives, and rep actives. But at the top, there'll be a new one, there'll be four starship traits. So they're attached to your captain. You'll be able to access them very quickly from a tier six ship. There, it's a much harder, much longer amount of time to access them in the specialization trees. Is where you'll get some of them, and you'll be able to unlock them. And they take a lot more work to get to. You'll be able to slot those. Once you get them, then you can use them while flying any ship. So the idea is that it's not unlike a console, right? I want to fly the ship, but I really want that starship trade. So you get that ship, and you train up on it, and then you unlock it, and then you can item with their ship you want. So the fact that a tier 5 ship doesn't have a trait doesn't restrict its power. You're just getting something else with that that you can use on any other ship. And then the one thing that is lesser on the tier 5 U than it is on tier 6 is that you get um, a 13th bridge officer power. It's unlikely to be a commander seat because that would mean there would be two commander seats. You don't currently have any, any tier 6 ships that have two commander seats. So it'll vary from one ship to another whether or not it's an ensign seat or if it's a lieutenant seats or lieutenant commander, it's going to vary. I mean, if you think about it, it's really a bridge officer power alone, it's only one thirteenth the amount of power, right, or one twelfth better than another ship, and a lot of those powers are already on global cooldowns, and I don't know if you need another click or not, but I also don't want to undersell that, yes, it still is cool, you have a thirteenth bridge officer power, more flexibility, more options. And, yeah, the bottom line is you can upgrade your existing ship or you can buy a brand new ship, and we want you to buy the brand new ship. Of course we do. So if the Tier 6 ships were exactly the same as Tier 5 ships upgraded, then most people probably wouldn't be excited about the Tier 6 ships. So we gave them just a little bit more to distinguish them. But in our testing, as far as PvE testing or even PvP testing, there's nothing about them that makes them feel like, wow, this... Tier 6 ship is remarkably better than this Tier 5 U ship. Um, no, they perform the same in all our testing. And on the flip side of that, the T5 U ships, if they currently are already a fleet grade or, or a 10 console ship, they actually have an edge in that area over the T6 currently, right? They have the edge in that if you take a fleet ship and you upgrade it, they'll have more hit points and shields and they'll have the same amount of console slots. Let me do the math right. They have 10, they'll go to 11, and Tier 6 ships have 10 slots. But eventually, there'll be Tier 6 fleet ships as well. 
Okay, that's what something I was going to ask. So that's we're not launching with any tier six fleet ships, but eventually they will come out. Those will be a little bit better. So at one point, you know, we were even discussing is like, should we even have ship upgrades, right? Because it's a significant amount of uh, tech and data work for us, right? Uh, it's 130 ships or so that basically had to be rebuilt from the ground up because it's not like you just dynamically add a slot and stats. It's a whole you new upgrade. You actually just change ships. Behind the scenes, you don't really notice that, but it's actually a whole different ship data and all the tech involved with that to make it seamless. So most MMOs don't even go so far as letting you, you know, push a button and upgrade your level 50 gear to level 60 gear. And, uh, and there was nothing that was obligating us to do so. But, I mean, a large part of it was, you know, we have this huge library of ships that a lot of them are IP favorites, and we want them to be usable at the end. And so it's not much different than us having a lockbox ship and saying, you know, the ship is just, you know, 5% or 10% better than the rest of the ships out there when we release, say, like the Kumari or Jemadar Dreadnought Carrier, which are pretty superior ships in general to most ships or any of the, uh, the flagships. So tier six ships are just, you know, a little bit better just to try to entice you to get them. And hopefully they're exciting and fun with the new options that they have. And you can continue to play yours. And if you want to make yours a little bit better, it's awesome, which most games simply don't do. You log in and all your purple elite gear that you've been grinding for months, all of a sudden the first green that drops is better. And that probably doesn't feel too good. And we didn't want to do that. I think it's a pretty fair compromise, especially in comparison to the way most MMOs handle things. So let me ask, one of the biggest concerns from the community is, for instance, the bridge officer, right? That 13th bridge officer power. And you talked to us a little bit about that. I'm kind of one of those people that would love to see the tier 5 upgrade, get that 13th power. Now, maybe not the ability to use a hybrid slot. That should be exclusive to a tier 6 ship. But man, I just want to fire all my ensigns. You just want to fire all your ensigns? (laughs) Or promote them. (laughs) Well, that 13th bridge officer slot may just be another ensign slot. It's going to vary from one ship to the other. Sometimes it may be an ensign slot. Sometimes it might be upgrade an ensign to a lieutenant. We know it's not there. We also know that it's intentionally there to entice you to want to get a tier 6 ship. We know that through testing that it's really not that noticeable to have another bridge officer power there. It's not a new power. It's something else that you've had and maybe allows you to have access to a engineering team two instead of an engineering team one. But a lot of stuff goes on global cooldown anyway. So the difference is not even one twelfth better just in bridge officer power alone. So it's really what it's supposed to be is enticing. So that way, when you have that tier six ship, there's a reason why you really want it. There's something plus one better. But at the same time, like if you play them competitively or if you play them through content, that the balance really isn't that different. It just feels like you have a little bit more options. And so, I mean, I've played, you know, stuff on dev ships where I've had like every power available. It doesn't really make me that much better because I can just give myself every single power when I'm playtesting. And so I have, you know, I might have like 20 bridge officer powers in, in testing. I'm not that much more powerful. I mean, you are, but the difference is... It's not like you're twice as powerful because I have twice as many bridge officer powers. The calculus just doesn't add up that way. So I think it's very fair and balanced, but at the same time, it's also desirable. That's about the best that we can do, I think, that anyone could ask for, for something to feel satisfying and feel like you get that desirable, but at the same time, really, really not making that much of a difference as it seems to be. Yeah, when I fly my ship, I don't often have all my powers active all at once. Actually, to go off what Cookie's saying, 
you know, Jason and I were just talking uh, about this before the interview is that, you know, you can have all the powers in the world, but it's also the pilot behind that ship. So skill has a lot more to do with it and your strategic choices on your builds probably have far more to do with it than actually having that 13th power. And now just to clarify too, you say that there's a possibility that you would just add another ensign. So when I hear that, I'm looking, let's say, for instance, at the Fleet Avenger Battlecruiser, which has like an ensign tactical. It's five seats. So there would be a sixth ensign seat. All I'm saying is that that any given tier six ship, that 13th bridge officer seat could be anything. Right. Remember, they're not getting added to existing seating. So that's totally hypothetical at this point. Yeah. And there's only so many seating combinations that you can build that are viable anyway. It feels infinite. Like we've never done it, but we could release a 12 ensign seats on a ship, right? <laughs> right? That's 12 powers. That's Or we could put, you know, three commander seats, right? Call that so, the troll class. Yeah, so there are a lot of different combinations, but neither one of those are particularly viable. So getting a viable balance build, there's not as many options as you might think. And so, so whether or not what all the seating arrangements are, you know, as far as some of the new ships, that those blogs will be out soon. I honestly don't remember what they are, but I do know it could be anything. Just a 13th power, it might be ensign, it, it might be commander, but I don't think it's going to be a commander. So it's probably more likely an extra lieutenant, maybe lieutenant commander seats, but probably extra lieutenant. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the ship leveling. Um, in our recording on Thursday, we had touched on this a little bit. So when we discussed the new leveling system for the ships, one of my concerns was having to level each ship that I attain. So, for instance, we start this in October and I get to level 60, and I've leveled my first ship. But now I'm 60, and you release some new hotness, and I want that new hotness. Now, unless I'm misunderstanding the system, I will still need to level up that new ship. So I won't get the benefits of the passives for a little while. And I'll be honest, I'm afraid of that a little bit. I'm, I don't know that I'm a big fan of it, because, like, you know me. I want that gimme, gimme, gimme now, you know? Like, I want my ship to be done, you know? I want to be ready to fly it. So... I suppose I'm mostly concerned that I don't know, players don't know, how long exactly it's going to take for a ship to progress through those four tiers, ultimately the fifth tier for the tier six. So here are my questions. So am I misunderstanding the way the new leveling system will occur? If not, can there be maybe a token that would expedite that progression on the new ship? Or C, am I way off? And if so, can you walk us through that new leveling system? So first of all, I just want to make sure that everybody is clear. It sounds like you guys are because I want to make sure the audience is clear that they're, uh, the both T5Us and Tier 6 ships will both have the ship mastery system. Tier 5Us will have four passive powers that will unlock, while Tier 6 ship will then have an additional fifth level to mastery, which will unlock a trait which can be moved from, uh, which basically you slot in. It goes with your captain. It's not on the ship. Just you unlock it on the ship. And if you unlock it and don't slot it, then it's just not active. I compared it very similarly to the current reputation system. Well, it is. It's a trait, so it's very much like the reputation system, yes. Now, also, both T5Us and Tier 6 have scaling hit points. These are not related to the ship mastery system. Those match your captain's level. So let's just make up some numbers, and let's say a Tier 5 ship has 30,000 hit points. If you upgrade it to T5U, or if you buy an equivalent Tier 6 ship, again, I'm just making up numbers, it will start off with... 31,000 hit points. You'll just immediately get a little bit of a bump. Then every level, you know, you'll say you'll earn 1,000 hit points, so that way you're 40,000 hit points at level 60. But if you buy that ship or unlock it at level 60, it'll immediately have 40,000 hit points. So it just scales at your level. And the main reason we did that is so that way 
you could upgrade or buy a ship at level 50 immediately and not automatically be outpaced with your content. So those ships scale with your level based on your level and has nothing to do with mastery. As far as the mastery is concerned, this is not unlike a system that you may see in a few other games. There's some games that when you get a new axe or a new sword, the more you play it, the better you get with it. I think Guild Wars has a system like that. Um, I can't remember. There's another game that also has that as well. Marble Heroes has that. Yes, that's right. So the more you play it, the better you get. And so you get more skilled at it. And it's another leveling system. And so we thought it was fun. And how long it takes, it's very short. It's about 15 hours, right? So you could get through it within a couple weeks of some average playtest sessions to unlock. And the first level unlocks like really quickly, like an hour or something like that. So in your first playtest session, you'll get the tier one and mastery pretty quickly. So what it also does, even at level 60, you see a level up progression. So your gameplay will constantly have dings and you'll level up and your ship will go and bling and you'll get bling your ship leveled up. You know, something that you miss from endgame content is the level up experience, which is always a good mechanic to see like, oh, there's my XP bar. If I just play a little bit more, I'm going to get that level. I'm going to get that level. And then that's a very gratifying feeling. So we did that twice. We did that with the specialization trees because once you get to level 60, you still keep earning one specialization point per level. And so once you get to 60, you'll keep, you know, the same time it took from go to 59 to 60, you'll earn another specialization point, another specialization point. So you always feel like that you're leveling up and XP boosts always mean something. But we did the same thing with ships. So that way, you know, you play a little bit, boom, I get another level up experience. And so, you know, I understand you're not getting it right away. I'm also always a little confused about why people want to have everything right away because then once you have it all, then there's nothing more to want. And so things that unlock and level up, that's the game. You play the game and then you earn more stuff. It hopefully should be a fun experience and a light experience. And it's certainly something that will, you know, will be on Tribble soon. And uh, people will be able to give their feedback. I think you're going to find that you're going to be able to unlock things relatively quickly. And uh, it should feel good. If it doesn't feel good, we'll make adjustments. The original design was a little bit different. The original design was going to be that um, there's going to be a new item called a, and we might do this one day, a computer core was going to be a new item. And that the more you played uh, a ship, you unlocked data, like an isolinear chip, piece of data that you learned and that you could kind of slot them, kind of like a kit, you know, for ground kits and slot them in your computer core. And so if I play the Defiance, once I get to the end, I learn how to do, I don't know, barrel rolls or whatever. And then you could take that and put that in your computer core and then move that to another ship. And so that you were unlocking different things based on gameplay for that ship and have that ship mastery. So some of that, is, the original design is in here and we might do something like that again in the future. But it's encouraging you to collect different ships and to try different ships uh, because you want that trait. But you know, so, oh, but now you play it. Well, maybe I really like this ship or this style ship. It's trying to encourage you to try different ships more um, because you might want something and don't just buy it and take the prize off of it and throw it away and get people to kind of rotate. That's the experience we're hoping for. You know, MMO. We'll make changes if it doesn't feel good. One thing that actually confuses me a little bit is there seems to have been talk that if I get another cruiser, something would automatically be unlocked from the passives. No, the packages are the same across ship categories. So when all cruisers have the same package and all escorts have the same, the four passives that unlock. That simply was just a practicality since we were, you know, making 140 new ships, right? 
that we couldn't just make a you know four unique passes for every single ship so we just ended up just making packages okay these science vessels get these and these battle cruisers get these we may make more unique ones for future ships but just because if you play the galaxy and unlock its four passives when you play the sovereign you're going to have to play it in to unlock the same four passives and if you play it on another alternate character you'll have to unlock it again on there the difference where there may be some confusion is on the upgrades if you have a galaxy and then upgrade it on one character you can then go and play the galaxy on another character and it won't be upgraded it'll be a button and it'll upgrade for free and it'll just upgrade for free and so once you've upgraded a ship once it's an account-wide upgrade even if it's a fleet ship so fleet ships are actually account-wide upgrades as well even though fleet ships themselves are not account-wide upgrades i don't know if that was causing some confusion but the mastery itself is character and character and ship bound oh and speaking of upgrades since you uh touched on that again for a second. I noticed in the operations pack, it referred to the upgrades as an upgrade token. Do we know yet if those are going to be a tradable item at all? Yeah, they'll probably be tradable. Very cool. Not unlike the fleet module. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a different item, but it's the same principle. When I was on Triple, I noticed the new passives at the bottom of my status screen and the new starship traits slot on my traits tab. What can you tell us about the UI that players can expect for the new ship leveling process? So we just have, like you see, you see some new engineer UI work on Triple, but the way Thomas has made some mock-ups, and so we're just now working on the actual UI of it. If you go to your ship paper doll, right now you've got the different skills as, you know, offensive and defensive stats and all the stats there. Well, there'll be a new bar at the top, and it will say, if your ship is not eligible for upgrade, it will look like it always did. If it's eligible to upgrade, there'll be a, a new menu button up there that says is upgrade. And when you click on it, it'll scroll down and you'll see it'll have some explanation about if you upgrade, this is what you'll get. And then you can click the upgrade button and then you can upgrade your ship. Once you've upgraded, then that upgrade button gets replaced with ship mastery. And in there, you'll see a little power tree with a little experience bar on it. It'll look very similar to the way the little rep trees look like in the reputation system. And then you'll see the four powers plus the trait with a little like, experience bar at the bottom to like this is how far you are along to the next level. And then the large bar that will fill out that will unlock the trees. And so it'll be right there on that ship paper doll that you can just kind of open and collapse. And if it's an upgrade, it'll either be an upgrade button or it'll, have an, it'll be a mastery button depending on the status of your ship. Or be gone if it's an un- a non-upgradable ship. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Yes, yeah, 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 very much so. Actually, I was in Tribble last night upgraded a temple destroyer and noticed the four passives towards the bottom then i went to play the new pve borg disconnected i was noticing that i was collecting skill points again but i didn't know where that was going like i didn't understand it confused me at least so where is the progression for the new passives and things like that and i knew that it was triple and that the ui probably wasn't there and i was just curious yeah, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on with Tribble. Let me be clear about how leveling up and XP and SP is all working. So on Tribble, it might be broken right now, but once you get to level 50, you should not earn any more skill points to spend in your old skill system. If you still can do, then it's just because Tribble is still broken. So instead, every level you earn a specialization point for the specialization tree, and you earn that those skill points just like you always have through combat and through missions and through boosts or whatever. For ship mastery... You earn ship mastery points purely from kills in space. So ground combat and missions, none of that counts towards ship mastery. It's purely combat. It's what counts for ship mastery. So it has its own uh, XP uh, rate. So your leveling up has very little to do with your ship mastery leveling up. Just start and do a few cues, and you'll just earn a ton of ship mastery 
just by doing lots and lots of combat. That's your quickest way to level up a ship. Quicker than doing missions, right? Because missions is far more story-driven and half ground and stuff. But just queue up for some cues and you'll plow through your ship mastery pretty quickly. I noticed on Tribble, actually, now when you hover over the bar in between them, it gives like a percentage number. That'll just change. That'll be essentially like a whole number. Yeah, that's just, yeah, just ignore all that stuff right now. That's just some programmer UI just so the system is working. And while the UI team, Thomas and Jocelyn and, and everyone makes it look pretty and functional. It'll look very similar to, like I said, like it does in the rep tree. It's like that, just with the little thermometer bar, XP bar that kind of rolls up, and then as you get to the first mastery point, boom, it'll glow up, and that power will be active, and then it'll, the other ones will be grayed out. You can mouse over them and see the stats on them, and boom, and then the next one will level up, and you'll get a big splash, you know, big big fanfare. Ooh, you know, ship mastery one, you know, will level up. So all that stuff is not working yet. So uh, next up, we wanted to talk about the operations pack. So this is our first official glimpse with names and roles of the tier six ships that have been revealed so far. And also, it was mentioned in the operations pack, the October 14th date. Is that official? I don't know if it's official, but it's pretty darn close. It's pretty probable. All right. Okay. We can, we can work with that. <laughs> I'm willing to bet that that was an unintentional piece of information. Is that still on there or is that uh, No, is that I, I, that's on there because there's the Q&A says something about uh, redeeming your uh, redeeming the items and that they'll be available uh, in-game on the 14th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a question that came in about the operations pack. Because the full specs aren't available yet and it's currently at a discounted price, will we get the blogs about the ships in more depth and have that price still available? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. There's a blog already written, and I'm not sure in the scheduled release date. It should be pretty soon, which will have all full details, just like we always had for any ship that we release with uh, full pictures and details on its abilities and all stats. So certainly not going to be expecting you to not have that information. So there's a lot of information to release. If we were to release everything that we had to release from the beginning where everyone was clamoring, so where's all the information was our permission? The, the amount of information would have been so overwhelming that no one would have digested it. So full stats for the ship uh, gear and bridge officers and everything that comes in that pack will be coming out soon. Another thing, with Legacy of Romulus, there was also the smaller pack. Will there be any kind of like a faction pack since you have KDF content and Romulan content and, and Federation content all in this uh, operations pack currently? Um, no, I don't think that we're going to be releasing uh, smaller packs and splitting them up. I think they decided not to do that. So that's very little to do with uh, design. So you can buy most of the stuff out of there individually. I mean, you'll be able to buy the, the ships individually if you'd like. I think that's the only thing you'll be able to buy individually. You're certainly not going to be able to buy the duty officers or the bridge officers or the costumes or the titles. You certainly will be able to buy the ship upgrade because it comes with some ship upgrade. So you'll obviously be able to buy those individually. But no, I don't think there's going to be any other packs, any other smaller pack options. So, And I'm sure that, obviously, if you don't know, you know, the, the ship comes with a pretty significant discount. And then, like like we did with, uh, with the Legacy of Ramesh pack, I mean, once the Delta Rising goes live, the price will go back up to full price. So if you're interested in everything there, it's, now's the time to invest in that. Yeah, Skiffy and I were talking about this on the show on Thursday, and I think... Even without being 100% sure on the final pricing of the individual ships, it seems like this has got to be about half off, if not more, of what everything would be pieced out. When everything is said and done, it's a better bargain than the Legacy of Romulus pack. It, well, it's all top-tier ships, whereas that had a lot of lower-level ships and, and retrofits in it as well. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
that's a significant part of the difference. Since we're talking about the new ships and those that are being included in the pack, I think, Al, it's safe to say that, that you're a Star Trek purist, right? And, and you're ready to defend it, even the most absurd aspects of the franchise. Uh, yes, I've, <laughs> I've been known to do that. So some people really don't understand or, or are appreciating the direction that the new ship designs have taken. So what are your thoughts of the new ship designs in relation to Star Trek lore? And is this a direction that we can expect from future ships? Well, I don't think that this is the, uh, at all, that this is the direction of Starfleet or any of the faction's ships. I mean, if you notice, I mean, we're releasing, you know, the Guardian Cruiser, which is a far more classical design, uh, Star Trek design. These are just a special look for the Intel ships themselves. They're meant to be just to, to look like what would uh, Starfleet intelligence, so that they're meant to look a little bit like stealth fighters and stealth bombers. So, hence the blackness. I mean, they're not unlike J.J. Abrams' uh, Vengeance ship. Very dark and angular and stealthy looking. So, I don't know if the artists particularly took any direction directly from, the, say, the Vengeance, from J.J. Abrams' Vengeance. But it certainly, is, if anything, it's probably a parallel design evolution of that. But I certainly know people don't think that all the Starfleet ships are going to come out like that. These are just three, right? Three of the ships are, are Intel-based have that and they all have a special feature that I don't think we've announced yet that'll come out with the ship logs about what they all do it's a special mechanic the mechanic isn't the same but it's similar in magnitude to the way we did like singularity for Romulan ships like all Romulan warbirds have the singularity mechanic right so all the intel ships will have this special mechanic that they can do it's actually really cool and really beautiful so people should enjoy that but um, it's just they're meant to look like spy ships what would Starfleet Intelligence do if they were to make a uh, you know, intelligence gathering, covert operations. So that's what they look like. But we're going to be making lots and lots of tier six ships, and most of them are going to be far more traditional looking. I'm a fan of them. I love the the Tron esque look, and it's interesting that you compared it a little bit with the Vengeance from EJJ. I didn't even think of that at all. But uh, Hector Ortiz actually made a really great post on the subreddit, kind of talking about the evolution yeah. of. Well, he's he's our concept artist, so we're probably talking a little bit about his. His motivations. I mean, if you look at the science version, the scryer, it has that negative space cut out in the middle of the saucer, just like the Vengeance did, right? So whether or not that directly influenced Hector and the ship team to design the ship, I don't know. But I know there was also other ships I've seen that have that same negative space in the saucer. But yeah, I know his motivation was also largely taken from you know, stealth bombers and stealth fighters with that angular and black kind of material. I think they're gorgeous, and not everything we build is everyone's cup of tea, but we've made a lot of cryptic special IP ships that does honor the IP really well, I believe, you know, kind of the Armitage and the Regent and the, uh, the Avenger, far more classical shapes, and you'll continue to see more far more classical designs in the future, so no one needs to worry about that. But as far as exact motivations I'm kind of interpreting a little bit and so hopefully you guys like I said it would be another great question if you get an artist to talk to I think they look like a natural progression and just like he explained it in his post well you, you know what take this away anybody so does the Intel cruiser look anything like say you know a galaxy well, very little influence there from the galaxy does it look like a Wells Maybe it looks a little like a Wells I mean the Wells is an IP ship it's in our game and it looks nothing like a Starfleet vessel, right? I'm a really big defender of the IP, but what I don't agree with is if someone says, well, if it hasn't been in the show, it's not really Star Trek. 
And that's just nonsense to me because then someone will make an episode and put it in there and it can be as bizarre or as weird or something and then all of a sudden it's accepted. Like the Wells class ship or the Vengeance or, or Talking Rabbit, right? So it's, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden, well, it's IP, then, then it's okay. And, and, but if we restrict ourselves to only put everything that has only ever been in the shows, then you're not going to get anything new. So I think that Star Trek uh, Online, our cryptic, is very respectful to the license, and uh, I don't think you're going to see anything completely bizarre. Like, you're never going to see, like, on Federation ship a Millennium Falcon or Battlestar Galactica type thing, right? You're not going to see anything that's just all that, you know, industrial style, uh, chunky, retro, plate metal kind of stuff you might see on some more grungy type sci-fi. It's going to look like a possible evolution in the future. What, Whatever it is that we do. TARDIS. TARDIS, yes, no TARDIS. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, sometimes we make a design. You know, some people don't like the Chimera. And it's like, I love the Chimera. It's a beautiful looking ship, in my opinion. Some people don't like the Defiant, though. I can't help you. I've seen people just really, really hate the Defiant. You know what? I don't like the Enterprise J. And you know what? It's IP. We're stuck with it, guys. A lot of people don't like it, but it's IP. It's going to happen, right? <laughs> so that's just what it is. So You heard it, guys. Enterprise J confirmed for Delta Rising. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you know what? I think it's perfectly fine to not like something. It's completely subjective. To say that it would never happen in the Star Trek universe, I think that's a little unrealistic or a little short-sighted to think that that's like, oh, this could never happen. And certainly, I can promise you, and if anyone's ever listened to me before or ever met me, it's like as far as like a love and respect for the IP that myself and all of this SDO team has is really high so far that, you know, CBS doesn't even hardly ever checks in on us. They know that we have a huge amount of uh, knowledge and respect of the, of the IP and not going to take it into a bad direction. So, but in my opinion, I think the ships are gorgeous. I think they're absolutely awesome. I can't wait to fly the uh, cruiser Eclipse. It's stunning. I'm definitely intrigued. I like the styling of the lines instead of the windows to set them off from the darkness of space. I think that's going to be interesting when we get to play with skins and stuff on them. Yeah, yeah. They're unique. But again, it's just one group of ships. What we're trying to do is we're trying to create themes, right, for Star Trek Online. So right now we're focusing a lot, as you can tell, on intelligence, right, intel ships and about other Intel-related themes. And in the future, we'll have other themes and other mechanics that will kind of go to inspire us. You know, maybe we'll do a set of counselor ships or Mott the Barber ships. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but we'll... I don't know. I like that Alice in Wonderland Star Trek crossover idea. There you go. How about Steampunk Star Trek Online? Since we've been talking about existing IP... I have to comment on the awesome work that Nick Tacofangs and Tim Sericata have been doing with the Voyager Bridge. He just posted, I believe both on Facebook and on the forums, the MSD Master System display that he even got feedback from Michael Okuda about the details of. I didn't know that he, uh, he got feedback from Okuda. I did see his tweet of it, so there's a lot of time putting in a lot of detail on the bridge, so or on the on the entire Voyager interior, so it's pretty amazing, spot on. Some people have seen some of it on Tribble. If you've been playing, we haven't even talked about that, right? The, the whole interior, in fact, right? Yeah, all the um, key locations, at least the main set pieces from the show. I'm not going to talk about any of this story, but the first mission is live on Tribble right now. We all three of us had the opportunity of playing it. It was fun. It was actually I was hesitant at first. I go, oh man, we're gonna do that. But once I got in, I was like, okay, this is cool. This is cool. I loved it. 
that's my type of mission. This Mindscape, the the first one, that's the type of mission that I would have a friend try out to introduce them to Star Trek Online. It's a very Star Trek moment, right? I mean, there's been many times in Star Trek they've had these kind of dream sequence, mind meldy kind of thing. I mean, I could think of several episodes where that happens. I mean, when, when Janeway enters Tuvok Mine, for instance, to, you know, when uh, he has that virus that makes him think he killed a little girl or something back on the Excelsior, right? And everything is kind of representative of anything. It's, it's also a little... You know, a little like a holodeck episode. So there's lots of little things where Tuvok goes into a set of nine's mind in a mind meld, right? And everything's a little crazy in there. So we took influence from those kind of episodes. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun to make. So I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't, but surprise, it's, it's a mind meld episode. But it's a great introduction to the Delta Quadrant and the Voyager crew. With all the work on the uh, update to the Intrepid and the interior... Can we expect maybe something like a Voyager bundle along the lines of the Deep Space Nine bundle that had the Defiant Belfast uh, bridge? Probably something like that. I don't want to talk about that too much as far as, like, I don't like talking about future bundles or sales, but uh, in some form that will be available. What I was going to ask about the mission is uh, there were some awesome new elements that can be found in it and some interesting and ingenious ways of planning it and staging it in Star Trek Online. Can you comment at all about, without, I guess without giving too much spoiler, uh, what type of hurdles you guys faced in putting a map like that together? It's a tribute to the talent of the team. That one was made by Jesse Heineck. It certainly took him a long time. It also tribute to the flexibility of our engine, the things that we can do with that. But I mean, basically, I mean, some of the things, uh, without giving too much away, is the map changes, right? You'll say, hey, wait, did, did I just, did I miss that? Did that just, was that like that before? So it's a kind of Tesseract-like. Maybe you guys get Jesse on the show one day and he can talk a little bit about the challenges he personally felt on building that. But really what it was, was what was challenging was writing the story and trying to figure out how can we make this feel like you're in this dreamlike mind meld, yet uh, you know, at the same time you know, still be familiar to gameplay, but obviously feel very different. What are the elements that we need to capture? And it was a great opportunity for us to actually let you see the whole crew of Voyager, at least the ones that we have, without doing time travel. Right, but to see them in their original form. A lot of people are asking us, like, why was the Voyager crew on the screenshot we released in the Voyager uniform still, and they're all young? As well, because you get to see them when they're all young and in their original uniform, but it's not time travel. That was a fun one. That was a really fun one. And uh, But I'm not going to spoil too much. I don't want to talk about the details of the story, but some of that is a little bit of a spoiler. But people may want to wait for it to get on the holodeck for all the voices in and all the final cutscenes are in and all the details are polished and finished to get the full experience. And these three missions are really just the tip of the iceberg, right? Because if I am not mistaken, if I remember our discussion at Star Trek Las Vegas, there's going to be a ton of mission content, correct? Between 50 and 60? A lot. It's going to get to 60. There'll be, you know, a whole bunch of mission content, adventure zones and queues and patrols and lots of stuff, lots of story-based content, a lot of it focusing around Voyager and, and the individuals and the crews. There'll be episodes that are just focusing on individuals and it'll be a really good Voyager experience for everyone. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. I'm going to lock the doors, turn off the TV, take some hot cocoa, popcorn, and just dive into it. It's going to be so good. Yeah, it's going to be it's really good stories. And everyone should be boning up on their Voyager if they haven't already. Talk about the Voyager experience. I noticed that the music in the new missions is very evocative of the Voyager theme. 
thought that was very cool in reunion especially i noticed it yeah that was something that we definitely wanted to evoke is uh getting access to the actual scores from star trek is actually something that we don't have license to you actually have to negotiate and pay the individual composers to access that music so when we work on star trek originally or you know for voyager for delta rising we wanted to have it feel when people get there when you get to the delta quadrant and you play the content that you feel like you're playing in Voyager. And music is a real key part of that. So I'm glad that that resonated with you because that's then mission accomplished. That's what we're going for. I do have a question about the big ship and it's very bio. How much influence did you have on that ship? There's a big ship and it's very bio. What, what, what big ship? <laughs> I know, we need more information. I'm trying not to give away too much of the plot for people who haven't played the mission yet. So in the first mission, you have to infiltrate a massive Undine ship. There's a lot of biology to it. Yeah, well, that's the whole Undine shtick, right? They all have bio ships, and they all uh, their ships are grown. And so we told a lot of that story in season nine, right, where you go into fluid space and you see the ships and their planet killers being grown on their, their coral reefs, their fluid space coral reefs, and even the individual cruisers and frigates, you see them attached to the reefs on the side and then the little uh, um, larva ships kind of fly out you know that are half partially grown and then the big planet killer that comes out of the big centerpiece uh, and then later you see that in the end of uh, surface tension comes through um, where that's where sean flies into and then you fight those in the in the uh, in one of the queues where the undine planet killers are going from planet to planet so we just kind of kept building off of that and building all these io ships that the undine have and so it's like the big main ship is in that episode. I also enjoyed the PvE match, the new uh, Borg Disconnected. I actually finished watching uh, Unity, so I was all brushed up on my Voyager. That was a fun mission. You're completely brushed up on Voyager? Not complete. Well, I've, I've watched all of Voyager, yes, but I'm as like the new dev blogs uh, have been published, uh, Laughing Trendy has been including the episode for those species. With the new PvE that hit Tribble, I was like, all right, let me watch Unity, because it's about the cooperative and the, the release Borg, so... Um, uh, it was fun. Yeah, that queue is a big three-way war between the Voth and the Undine and the Borg on, on a big Borg Unimatrix, so it's a pretty epic fight. I think it's the first time we've done anything like that as far as having three ways. You see a big, big Voth, giant Voth city ships and a fortress ship in the background along with the Borg Queen Diamond ship, so all the big guns are there. So that's just the start of Delta Rising, right? Like the first thing that unlocks. <laughs> so it's pretty big. It's pretty epic expansion. Now, actually, to go back a little bit about the expansion, you know, you mentioned things that, like Thomas currently working on the new UI for the ship leveling system, how far are you from just kind of being ready to be able to sit back and just wait for that October launch? Well, everything is functionally done at this point. So what's left is, I mean, we're doing just a lot of polish on the content, on the episodes. Um, so just polishing those, fixing those bugs, polishing the cutscenes. Not all the VO has been recorded, so we're still having VO actors, including the Star Trek actors, coming in and recording that audio. So then all that has to be resynced with the cutscenes and any tweaks that need to be made to the cutscenes to accommodate the pacing that's being read. Then uh, we're still kind of lacing together all the content because, you know, you make the individual episodes, but you've got to be able to have a mission flow that takes you from one to the next, making sure that the player doesn't get lost along the way about knowing what to do. On the system side, I mean, not all the ships are made, not all the upgrades are made. A lot of art still coming in for the new reputation gear and all the consoles and effects and costumes for the ships that are coming online. So we only have a few, like, for instance, I mean, even the, the operations pack, you know, the uh, 
Federation ship. There's a Romulan uh, Rilal battlecruiser or something. I think it's called something like Rilal. That's not built yet. I'm not sure if the design part is done, but the art isn't done for that. So lots of little polishing. Nothing, no, nothing big, functional, not working, right? I mean, the big things were making ship upgrade work and the new functionality of Tier 6 ships, you know, the ship mastery system and the specialization system and all the major systems are done. So now it's just finishing up and, you know, basically we're in a production cycle and just polishing the last bits. It's no surprises. It's just iterate, iterate, iterate. Once a couple of those major key systems got in place and we were able to hit that button and the ship upgraded, it was like, that was like a really big deal. That was a tremendous amount of work and that was probably the hardest thing that we had to do in a long time. And once that happened, it was like, wow, it, it worked. Like, we actually might ship this thing. <laughs> right? That was a really good moment there. Yeah, we're in the home stretch. Uh, people are working a little extra hours right now to get the polish done. But um, it's finally on the horizon. It's finally looking like it's all coming together. The last few weeks are always the big challenge. And when can silver players expect to have access to Tribble? I don't know. If we do allow access to silver players, it may not be until like the weekend before or maybe the week before you know we might just put it on there just to look for any like weird load kind of problems but we don't want to spoil all the content for the majority of players right when we open it up to that big everybody leaves holodeck and holodeck becomes a ghost town and everyone goes to tribble and then no one's excited about it when it comes up on holodeck so access to silver players will probably be limited maybe we can talk for a minute about the new difficulty levels for the queued content where now we're introducing the old elite as advanced and introducing a new elite level. And sort of tied into that, what your thoughts are about the new balance concept at level 60. There's a whole blog that will be coming out maybe next week that will talk about that in full detail. So I don't want to step on that too much. Basically, you know, we released the game four years ago and we've released in other systems and gear and players are far more powerful now than they were when we originally planned it. And so a lot of the content that they play is... You know, stuff like even infected space and board queues are now really easy. I've seen players just destroy Dreadnought solo, and that's just was never intended, right? So, but that's not also unexpected in an MMO that's been around for multiple years. So, raising the level cap is a way to rebalance the game where everybody is expected to be at. And I'm sure after years, there'll be a power creep again, and people will uh, start getting more and more powerful, and, and the stuff that is supposed to be really hard, they'll be able to do really easily, and then we'll hopefully we'll be able to raise a level cap again. But we also recognize that we have a wide breadth of player um, skill and resources, and so you have players who are just going to be playing for free, or playing very casually, and others who just will buy everything, and will grind everything, and will have everything available to them, and that's a pretty wide breadth of power. And so we want to make sure that we have content that everybody can play, the average person can play, but we also uh, introduce content that is a challenge for people who, there's a reason why they bought a tier six ship. There's a reason why they got all Mark 14 gear. And otherwise, if everything is easy when you have a modest amount of items and gear and skill, why bother upgrading? Why should I buy the next big ship? Because I'm fine the way I am. And so that way, when you do upgrade, you know, we have stuff for people that have invested either with money or with time that it feels like that they got something for their contribution. So we'll be basically releasing content at a much wider breadth of challenge levels for different playstyles. But full blog's coming that soon and you'll see all the details about that. And people who play at higher difficulties will be 
rewarded accordingly. I'll look forward to that blog because the the third difficulty level like we have in story missions mm -hmm. being applied to cues is something I know I and a lot of other people have been interested in seeing for a long time. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about seeing that on Tribble, yeah. even though I can only get into you know, a couple of the levels so far. On Holodeck right now, one of the things that is not working really well is a lot of the cues you know, that are marked as elite cues or even some of the cues that are marked as basic there's a lot of inconsistency there and what that means. Sometimes they increase the level of the critter, sometimes they have tougher critters, and sometimes there's more critters. And so it's a little inconsistent the way a lot of them are built. And so we're hoping to standardize that a lot more with Delta Rising so you know what to expect more from an advanced queue and what you expect from an elite queue. But uh, I've already said too much. Let's, let's wait till the blog comes out, and then we can talk more about that and uh, answer those questions. So, Al, I want to get this opportunity to ask if there's anything that we haven't covered, anything that you've seen from the community that we may have overlooked that you'd like to to address about the recent announcements and leading up to Delta Rising in October. No, you know what? I, I every time I come on this show, I gotta have something prepared because I know you're gonna ask me this question. But you guys always just cover everything pretty well, I think, in the questions themselves. So I don't have too much to add. I think the, the only thing I was to say is that we still have a lot of really important blogs, a lot of really important systems that are still coming out. There's a lot of great new changes in content changes in rewards and you know, we haven't even talked about in detail yet the specialization trees that we announced back in Vegas so just keep in mind uh, even what's on Tribble is still just some little bits and pieces and so nothing's tuned and nothing's completed so um, just keep an eye out for the blogs and this expansion is just going to be tremendous it's very systems heavy so there's lots of new things and lots of new replayability for Star Trek Online so we're all very very excited and very tired I'm looking forward to having this out real soon. And then my last question is, have I said anything in the last several episodes to upset you and make you want to rip my head off? <laughs> <laughs> no, I noticed that you were not too happy about the 13th Bridge Officer's thought and or about the leveling up of the ships, but um, I don't know if I alleviated your concerns or turned you around a little bit on it. But the only thing that I asked for everyone is to always to reserve judgment until you check it out, right? Because... Just like reading an email at work or any email you get, it's like, well, that, it's so hard to tell what someone meant just from words without actually experiencing it. It's a very different experience. So it's just like if you're reading about something in a blog or even from a podcast, it's very different than when you actually go in and experience it. And then, you know, once you try it, then you have more information to say whether or not you like it or don't like it or love it or hate it. And so try it out, and then that feedback is far more meaningful to us than speculating on why you may not like something that you haven't even tried yet. Al, thank you so very much for coming uh, back on the show and speaking with us about the latest developments from Delta Rising that players have been able to follow via the website. And uh, I'm sure as dev blogs come out, there'll be many more questions and very many more discussions, and we'd love to have you back on to uh, talk about those as well. Yeah, I look forward to coming back soon. Hopefully I'll be able to clarify any questions that anybody had or concerns, but uh, if there's more, let me know, and I'll, uh, I'll try to clear those up. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so very much. So what do you miss most, or what was your favorite part about Las Vegas 2014. Honestly, what my favorite part about it is generally just being around like-minded friends with the same interests that I have and without being in a work environment, right? Just being able to just be around other Star Trek fans and even strangers that I think it's very comfortable and it's just a lot of fun to be surrounded with so many people that are enjoying the same things that you enjoy. So yeah, I wish I could do that more often. I thought for sure you were going to say when you had hair. When I had hair, that was really special. It was. Thank you for that. Floating around, yeah. I felt very pretty. <laughs> you were. Awesome. 
Well, Al, again, thank you so very much for stopping by, and we'll have you again in a few weeks, hopefully. Thank you. Good to talk to you guys again. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, captains, we open hailing frequencies to see what you had to say about episode 188 of Priority One Podcast. So let's start with our first community question, shall we? What did you think of the new announcement trailer for Delta Rising? Did you catch any teasers or Easter eggs that we might have missed? On PriorityOnePodcast.com, Aqua Shusen writes, I loved the trailer. It was very well done. Just wish we had better screen time of the Romulan T6 Warbird. The trailer has me hyped for Delta Rising. Can't wait for October. Tobias LTF commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I only watched the trailer twice and didn't notice anything worth noting. In all honesty, adding new content is great, but I would much rather have existing problems, glitches, and imbalances fixed before getting a shiny new ship. As for the Constellation-class cruiser, the only reasons I can see for getting that ship would be the console and the added ship costume option that was taken away from us previously. Our next community question asks, So other than having the console, why would you want to buy this ship, even its fleet variant? Adam Lejeune posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com, The Constellation-class starship is my absolute favorite 23rd century ship, and because of the Constellation-class costume unlock, my Mirror Universe Heavy Cruiser retrofit is technically a Tier 5 Connie. <laughs> That's awesome. Constellation instead of Constitution. On the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, Virgins writes... The console does sound really cool, but with the number of cool consoles out there, I'm presented with the choice of spending 1,000 zen on it or upgrading some of my ships to tier 5 upgrades. So I might have space to hold the consoles I already have and maybe have space for the Picard maneuver too. I, um, I like the idea of having the Picard maneuver, but I don't know that I would want to spend money on the Picard maneuver. See, I see where you guys are coming from, and I haven't picked it up yet, but if this console ends up being something that gets widely used, it may eventually find its way into a cross-faction lockbox, right? Like some of the other consoles have. And the Plasmonic Leech console, which comes with a 1000 Zen ship on the Klingon side, goes for mega millions on the exchange on Federation. So I'm not saying that it's that much of a game changer, but with the uh, the fact that we will be able to get it for a thousand zen may prove to be a nice thing since it's an account-wide unlock where if it someday sees light of day on the klingon side they would have to purchase it through lockbox or off of the exchange which will rapidly inflate if it gets popularity just a thought gray fox james writes on the star trek online forum post for this episode great episode as for the Delta Rising promo video, I thought it was great, and I'm sure it will help to get some old players back in the game. The Tier 6 Bridge Officer extra slot will probably determine the fate of Tier 5 upgrade ships. Like Jay said, if the upgrade is from Lieutenant Commander to Commander, that will be felt. If it's from Ensign to Lieutenant, probably not a huge deal. We'll have to see what these new skills are. Laughing Trendy posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. 9 out of 10. Would Trendy again. Swag. Well, Trendy, thank you so very much for stopping by on Priority One Podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to have you, and we hope that you'll uh, find that Priority One can be a, another home f- for you 
to uh, to reach out to the community and to talk to the audience. So um, you're more than welcome anytime. I Rob NJ tweeted us at STO Priority One. Thanks for being a great resource to us, STO fans. You're all doing a fantastic job. You're my boy, Rob. You're my boy from NJ, New Jersey. That's where we're from. Up in here, represent East Coast. Yes, son. East Side. I don't know that it stands for that. You know what? In my heart, it does. Now, let's look into a few ideas that were submitted through our new game ideas form on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash game ideas. This week, we will hear from at QPan and Ender7. What is your favorite thing about Star Trek Online and why? QPan wrote, the ability to fly my ship where I want it in the game. Also like the idea of multi-instance battle and adventure zones. Ender7 writes, I think the best part of the Star Trek Online experience is the social aspect of it. If you join the right fleet, you can make a lot of great friends. And you don't worry so much about the grinds because you've always got a fantastic bunch of people to chat and play with. I agree. I feel the same way about the P1 team in-game and my fleet, Fleet 31. So our next question on the form is, what don't you like about Star Trek Online and why? Cupan says, overuse of dilithium sinks here and there. There really doesn't need to be a dilithium component in crafting that is time-gated the way it is. It's fine for the quick finish, but to spend it in crafting components to make an item to me isn't worth it for a random item generation. The imbalance of what's worth fleet credits in the fleet project system, where the only worthwhile credit for your time is fleet marks and dilithium. You can spend millions of energy credits and get nothing in the same return. DPS drops and the GFX lags caused by certain modernizing of the game engine, players with lower system specs from when STO launched have issues with newer content. Before these updates, the system ran smoothly. I would like to know what the differences are when you donate to your fleet holdings, how much you get, how much fleet credits you get when you donate the lithium, when you donate fleet there's marks. A, um, there's a chart for Yeah, that. I would like to take a look at that. that that's that been published on StoWiki. I'll get the link for you. Thank you, Skiffy. That's a really good point. So Skiffy will include that link in the show notes for captains that are also uh, curious, just as Cookie is. Um, now, here, here, the other thing about the, the graphics lag, um, I, I was reading on the forums, or I forget where it was, and, and one of the... Uh, complaints was that the, the the graphics issue, right? It might have been on, on the subreddit, but why is it that other players' phasers and power effects aren't the first ones to be cut, and instead my phasers and my effects are the first one to be cut? I don't. Why is that happening? Why is the priority the environment or the other players? and not my own. I should be the one to see my phasers fire before anybody else's. I will say that that in some situations, being able to see what other people are shooting at is probably more important than seeing your beams go out, although it's less immersive. Like if I was in PVP or in intense fight, I would want to know if things are targeting me. Yeah, but you, honestly, the, the the elite gamers that are doing PvP or, or something of that nature are going to be on TeamSpeak, probably. They're going to be on some type of voice service, some type of uh, voice over IP that everybody can communicate and say, okay, everybody fire at so-and-so. Um, I see what you're saying. Fine, I'm wrong. <laughs> Move on. No. <laughs> I see what you're saying, um, but... I just like in something like Crystal and Entity or you know CE, 
There's no reason why I shouldn't be able to see my weapons over one of my other teammates. No offense to my teammates, but I care for my immersion, I care about my weapons first. Yeah, I don't know why it's that way. That's just my speculation is that information-wise, I think from a design perspective, it would probably be more important to make sure players, if something gets cut, still knows what's happening in their environment. Enders7 writes, Some areas of the game could use some serious retouching. Defera and Nukara are probably the best examples of this. They are amazing zones and have some of the best rewards in the game, especially since Dilithium got added to the Defera missions. So, our next question is... How would you improve what you least like about Stowe? Cupan says, better options to remove the graphics FPS lag in the game, an adventure zone style PVP system, although this may be moot with the end of the war, a better way to make fleet credits not based on just projects that are slotted by fleet leaders, even if projects would earn more fleet credits, another way for fleet members to get rid of fleet marks to earn fleet credits, and a better balance of the number of fleet marks to resources put in other than fleet marks at Port Dilithium. And the best for last, an Elijah Entertainer doff and tacos and bacon in the replicators. Can I, I, wanna, I, I, I wanna get behind this only because of how awesome the models look for people like Picardo and Ethan Phillips and like all these people. So I petitioned for all of us, for the entire, for the, the Priority One hosts and the team to get entertain, entertainer DOFs included in the game. And then we'll send pictures. We'll send pictures, like 3D pictures, you know, the side, the front, the other side, so that the, the cryptic team can make entertainer DOFs of all of us. I think that would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, white quality entertainers that people would Not immediately donate to their friggin' uh, -uh. fleet holdings. This is, um, this is not unfounded because um, Havraha from Podcast UGC has one of his foundry characters in as a doff, and you get her, uh, it's Helna. Helna? Yeah, Helna. Helna. Helna's in as a doff, and you get her from one of the exploration clusters. Oh, yeah, there she is. This is our official request. Priority one, the hosts, would like entertainment doffs, entertainer doffs, to be included in the game uh, in our likeness. Just Elijah. Please, please email us with inf with instructions on what we can do to um, send you photos in what resolution so that we can get that done. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Skiffy, uh, Skiffy would like to request that he become a more important doc because he's an engineer. Oh, oh yeah, he is the audio, audio engineer. engineer. That's funny. We should have that be our community question. What should our jobs be? Oh God! What would our jobs be? What would what would be our what would be our duty officer qualities? Oh, I'll come up with my, those. My duty officer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Captains, here's our second community question this week. If we were DOFs in the game, what traits would you give each of us? Give us a list for each host and member of the team if you can. For example, Elijah could be a Tellerite, unruly, stubborn, and cold-blooded. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what would you give him, Jay, Skiffy, or myself? Share your thoughts in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO189 or on the official post for this episode on the Star Trek online forums. Captains, I'll be really sad if you all give me Tellerite. <laughs> Captains, if you haven't already, 
fill out our game ideas form on our website. Check it out at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash game ideas and share your thoughts on how to improve Star Trek Online. Well, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One. You can also shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 189 of Priority One Podcast. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catcher to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com or by visiting priorityonepodcast.com. We've been getting reports that some people's feeds haven't been updating, so if you are... You might not be listening to the show because maybe you're one of those people who are, ha- are having the issues. So tell your friends to make sure that their podcast catcher, their feed catcher, is pointing to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. That way you'll never miss an episode. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community questions in the comment section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. Remember, this week's questions are... Will you be purchasing the new Delta Rising Operations Pack? What about the pack is most enticing to you? And our second question, if we were DOFs in the game, what traits and race would you give each of us? Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in-game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast. Without it, we would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy from Priority One podcast. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your ad handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. A very special thanks to the Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineers, Skiffy and Ben Churchill. And to our QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, a.k.a. Rami Linnail, and to all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage.
Timekeeper complete. This is Elijah Part 3, Sync 1. This is Cookie Part 3, Sync 2. This is Jace Part 3, Sync 3. Uh, this is uh, Skiffy Part 3, Sync 4. <laughs> <laughs> You're not touching anything metal over there, are you, Elijah? <laughs> no, that's because actually Jace is about an hour south of me, so the storm that was on me is now headed towards him. Then once you try the broccoli, you can tell me you don't like it, but otherwise you have to eat it first. Did you just compare me to a child? I can't take I compared this. You to a, this interview's compared over. compared you to a broccoli hater. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Jace and I have a, an ongoing joke because he will ask me a question or he'll tell me something via text, and I'll reply with, K, just the word K. Uh, so we have a, an ongoing internal joke that by by replying with just K, what was it that you te- what was it that you sent me? Oh man! By replying with just Where K, either that? the person is mad at you and you should prepare an apology, or <laughs> or that person has absolutely uh, terrible communication skills. Oh, yeah, they're just terrible at conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, could be both. Yeah, I would like, I would love to get an Elijah Entertainer off and put him to work all night. That was so robotic. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. <laughs> Domo. Well, I woke up to get me a cold pop and then I thought somebody was talking about ships. I said, oh lord, it's a ship pack. Then I logged on, didn't grab my shoes or nothing, grabbed my card, and then the concept got me. Buying individual sh- <laughs> Sorry. I, I heard a message. Keep I thought going. you kicked me. <laughs> and then the concept <laughs> got me. Buying individual ships? Ain't nobody got time for that. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't it make it into the real show? <laughs> 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 